Hey, welcome everyone to the first ever show of Life Hurts, God Heals. Woo! I'm so excited. Yippee, skippy. Uh huh. Nervous, ter- terrified, terrified, that kind of thing. And we, hey, we want you to know right up front, we don't know what we're doing. So join us for the ride. So the premise of the show that we are uh, launching today is this. We all get hurt, right? It's part of life. We all know that. Sometimes it's by our choices. Sometimes it's the choices of others. Sometimes it's a mix. Sometimes it's nobody. It just happens. And this whole show is about finding healing. And we believe God is the healer. And he wants us to become more aware of his presence in our lives and also be more aware of ourselves and our part in the healing process. So, hey, if you want to call in, we're going to be talking for a little bit, but we definitely want to hear from you. And there are a couple different ways for you to call in, get connected with us, and uh, ask questions, make comments. Uh, one way for that to happen is this. You can call into this number, 323-580-5755. Or you can also click uh, into locallinknetwork.com. And uh, I want to take a moment to introduce each of the people that are involved in this. Uh, my name is Kurt Flagel. That's Flagel that starts with a P. In the middle is an E, and it's a vowel surrounded by a sea of consonants that are trying to overwhelm it. A lot of people see my name and think, uh, can we buy a vowel? Uh, You cannot. That's the way it is. Uh, I grew up in New England. I'm here in in San Luis Obispo by way of Las Vegas. And uh, I moved here from Las Vegas over five years ago to start a church community from the ground up. I thought you gambled all your money away, and that's why you moved here. Chris, we are going to be honest and authentic, but it doesn't start right now, okay? (laughs) Okay. Oh, okay, guys. (laughs) So I I moved here to San Luis Obispo to start a church community, and uh, I know what I'm going to do in the show at some point is I'm going to say slow. And I don't mean like a speed. I mean, that's like the acronym for San Luis Obispo. So if you're not from around here, I'm sorry. I probably, if I'm referencing the the city I live in, that's what uh, I'm going to say at times. So just be aware of that. And I want to introduce you to my fellow co-host, Chris Wolwind. Chris, will you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, after I swallow this almond from (laughs) Perfect. See, I hey, I'm going to tell everyone right now. I have a hidden talent. I I have this innate ability to ask people questions when their mouth is right full. Right yeah, well, see, right I got some. I got some pistachio ice cream that I'm trying to scrunch down here right before, and I didn't finish. <laughs> so, I'm I'm eating this ice cream slow. Oh, nice. Hey, and one thing we just learned about you is you do not have nut allergies, apparently. So that's, we'll add that to the bio. I have guacamole uh, allergies. I'm allergic to avocados. Oh, holy guacamole. Or unholy guacamole in your case. 
That's right. Um, so let's see. What, what did you want? You want to know everything about me in, well, in like a little second. Bit. How about a little I, bit about you? Okay. I was born in Prescott, Arizona. Um, I'm part of a family of five kids. Um, my family moved to Hawaii when I was in high school. So I went to high school for four years and I graduated. Woohoo. And, um, and, and then I moved to San Jose to go to a little Bible college called San Jose Bible College. You won't find it anywhere because it's changed its names, name numbers of time, times. Anyway, um, and then I have a, um, been a pastor um, in about eight uh, different churches, whether it was a youth pastor, music pastor, or a senior pastor. And then I decided I might want to go and do some teaching after 28 years of doing pastoral work. And so I got a master's degree uh, just so I could teach. And then I decided I didn't want to grade papers the rest of my life. So then I drove a truck. And so I drove truck for uh, four years for two different companies and uh, just kind of tried to figure out what I was going to do next. And then I ended up here on the Central Coast as a chaplain pastor for uh, the uh, senior adults at an assisted living uh, facility here. And they had, at the time, a nursing facility and a memory care facility. And uh, I also visit some other facilities as well, and I hold Bible studies, and I do uh, worship services in a couple of other uh, places as well. So that's what I'm doing right now, and on the side, I'm doing lots of uh, uh, writing, uh, curriculum, and things like that. I'm also doing some children's music writing uh, for a company, and so, yeah, that's me, Mr. Chris. <laughs> And uh, we also have one more person in this, who's our Annie Keith, our producer and comedian, yeah. color commentary, and she's the best of us. Color, that's for sure. Yes, she is the best of us. So we just want, Annie, would you uh, introduce yourself for us, tell us about of you? Of course, of course. Hi, I am Annie Keith. I am... Here in San Luis Obispo, technically Grover Beach, by way of Phoenix, Arizona, spent most of my life, well, all of my life there, and decided to pick up and move to California because I was having a lot of health issues, and I had a nice little drive to California, and on that drive, God spoke to me and said, you're going to move here, and so I picked up and I moved here, so left everything behind and sold my house, got a new job, and moved to San Luis Obispo area, and now I work for Cal Poly. Woohoo! Where my daughter awesome blossom. Where my daughter goes to school. Yes, and the and I would say this about that. All I can say is thank you, God. You really do. One more evidence that God loves me, that He told you to move here and you obeyed. So thank you, God, for that. <laughs> so tonight. Were you going to say something, Annie? Did you? I was just going to say, you know, there was that time where I did get the job at Cal Poly. And my sister, when I called her up, said, I have a church for you. And that brought me directly to Kurt. And (laughs) I didn't get a congratulations on the job. 
I got, I have a church for you. <laughs> so that's how I got involved. That's awesome. With Mr. Consonants. I love that. <laughs> the consonants. They're there. They're real. The consonants are real. So we're, tonight what we're going to do is our, our topic for this evening is for this particular show. I guess I shouldn't say evening. Um, for those of you, by the way, who are in like the, on the East Coast, New England, Midwest, I know this is pretty late. So if you're with us, just want to say way to suck it up. Thank you for being with us. That's awesome. Way to sacrifice. Tonight, our, our topic for this show is simply experiencing real power. What does that look like? What is real power? How do we experience it? And I want to I want to start with Chris. I think Chris, you have an intriguing story. I want to talk. I want to turn it over to you to share a little bit about your experience growing up and how you were empowered by those around you. Yes. Well, uh, my parents were very strong um, individuals. They were not. Um, at least at the beginning of their marriage, they weren't believers in the Lord. My mom uh, came to the Lord uh, around age 30 or 31. Um, That's a unique story all by itself. Um, And I believe with all my heart that it was her consistent, constant prayer that uh, brought all my brothers and my sister to the Lord. And eventually, at the age of 78, even brought my dad to the Lord. Um, But my mom and dad were very strong, independent individuals, and um, uh, they loved music, and and so they certainly encouraged the music aspect in all of us, but um, also tried to, I think, move each of my siblings uh, and myself into directions that they saw we might uh, uh, do well at. And and in my family, um, my mom was just my main motivator. Uh, my dad was an example of of really for a, for a guy who who really didn't connect with God, lived a godly life. I mean, he, he just lived. Uh, you know, I never heard a cuss word out of his. Uh, mouth. I never heard a dishonest remark. Um, He was always very loving toward my mom, and that was a good example. Uh, But my mom motivated me constantly uh, toward music and also toward college, and she said I could do whatever I set my mind to, that I had these, these capacities. And as we moved closer to the time for me to go to college, boy, she really pressed that. And I wasn't so sure I wanted to do the college thing, but um, glad I did. And when, by the time I got into my junior and senior year in high school, I was a fairly confident individual and um, just really believed that whatever I could do, I could do well if I, if I wanted to. And when I hit college, it really worked out that way. I mean, uh, everything that I uh, put my mind to, I just... Uh, I just did well at, whether it was uh, education or music. Uh, maybe not so much sports, but I had a good time. But just everything <laughs> and uh, everything else, particularly in the leadership department. And uh, um, 
And then when I entered ministry, uh, the the things that the people. In fact, how I entered the ministry was um, I was doing. Uh, PR marketing for the college and I would travel to Christian camps all through the summer and um, I was noticing about halfway through the summer that uh, every time I would talk to a kid about Jesus they would come to Jesus <laughs> and uh, just lots and lots of kids were getting baptized and I thought you know if I could do this the rest of my life I would be a happy camper. And uh, that really changed my my heart, and I really knew what I wanted to do, and that's what I did. And um, so I came from a background of great confidence, a background of self-worth, and you know, the weakness of all that was pride. I had a lot of pr uh, pride in my life, and um, the older I get, the more of that that is revealed in some of the most subtle ways and uh, I feel like the great work of my life is humility now and uh, and trying to do things out of God's power rather than Chris Woolwin's DNA and genetic upbringing and and his family environment I'm trying to do things out of God's environment now and that is a challenge because I still feel like a little baby infant stumbling around um, on the second half of my journey here. So, when when you were talking about like the confidence, feeling empowered, what are some of the things that those around you, your parents, um, maybe professors or teachers, what are some of the things that you would hear from them about you? Hmm. Well, the first year. Um, I really didn't want to go to college. I didn't really want to be in college. So um, by the end of the first year, I was flunking. And uh, I was on probation. I, um, the administration came to me and they said, um, we're going to let you come back in the fall. Uh, but right now you're averaging a D minus. <laughs> uh, because really I just didn't care about about learning. I didn't care about that stuff. I really cared about relationships. And um, the administration said, now, we want you to come back. And we think you have a lot of gifts and skills that God has given you. If you come back, we're going to assign a couple of professors to you to actually teach you how to do research, how to write papers, um, and how to excel in all of these things. And, and uh, I thought, wow, okay. So that was a great encouragement for me. Um, my mom uh, sacrificed a lot of stuff. She uh, borrowed off of her insurance policy. They didn't really have a lot of money. Borrowed off their insurance policy to make sure I could get through college. Then they sold the piano to get, th <laughs> get me through college. Um, I don't know. It was just uh, I was in an environment where there's a lot of support. And when I graduated, the faculty of this college uh, gave me their faculty award for for leadership and modeling. Uh, not not beauty, beauty modeling, but, uh, you know, uh, modeling the Christian life. 
<laughs> you can do it, though. You can do it. That's probably one thing it. they all told you. You could do that, too, Chris. I could model, right? <laughs> so, anyway, I always just felt like like that. And I and in terms of music, I had music groups that were clamoring to have me uh, travel abroad with them. And uh, on a couple of occasions, I said no, because uh, there were some church ministries that were wanting to hire me as well. And so all of that really fed, you know, a young guy's ego, for lack of a better word. And, um, and I know that God used all of that, that naivety, and, um, and he understood all that and, and loved me. Uh, through those things. Um, so, yeah, I just had a great framework of positive affirmation, uh, really, for the la- first 10 or 15 years of my life, you know. So. That's awesome. And hey, speaking of affirmation, I want to give a couple of shout outs. We have some people listening. Jeremy Larson saying, hey to you. This is an air high five to you. And Rob and Jessica Richards as well. Air high five. I hope I'm not hitting you in the forehead. And uh, Chris, you know, I, I love that idea of you telling people, no, like that's important because you know that you got to show how valuable you are. And sometimes it's keeping people at arm's length, telling them, no, making yourself more valuable. Okay. That was totally not true, but I just wanted to say it anyway. (laughs) It's it's interesting that you mentioned this recently to me we had this a similar conversation about this and you told me this and how we actually come from completely opposite backgrounds, almost diametrically opposed to each other, um, at least opposite experiences. And really tonight, and and I'll talk about mine in a moment, but really tonight, this is what, this is what this show is, is about is really, two things, walking through our experiences, sharing those experiences. We want to hear your experiences, those who are calling in. And again, I want to give you that information because it's important. Story is so important. As we talk through story, it really inspires us as we listen to other people and we connect to their stories. So again, if we want to hear from you, so again, there's two ways. To, to call in, to get on the show. The first one is the phone number is 323-580-5755. And the other, and I'm, gonna, and I'm hoping I'm not going to mess this up, so I'm looking at you, Annie, to make sure it's linkedlocalnetwork.com. Did I do that right? Woo! Okay. So, yeah, we, we, we want to hear from you. Just as we're talking about sharing our stories, we want to hear yours as well. And and my story is, is is quite different from yours, Chris. When it comes to this idea, you talk about being empowered. I I come I really re- really realize how much I've struggled with the idea of powerlessness throughout my life. Uh, just recently, just just recently for me, I have, God has highlighted to me um, something that I, I I guess I really didn't want to face about myself is this idea of that I believe this lie that I'm a failure, that I've always been a failure. And and in the thread, that thread goes back all the way to my family of origin. 
my father's father was an alcoholic. He didn't he didn't have anyone there to guide him to to show him what it meant to be a man, to be a father, be a husband. And he did the best he could. He, he, he was great in so many ways for me. He was one thing I can say about my father is that he was, he was there. He worked a lot, but he was always providing, he was working hard for his family and he would work multiple jobs just to make sure we had what we needed. There, however, was this element in our family uh, of a sense of failure. It pervaded. It was like an, a culture and atmosphere that pervaded our family. And now, do you have brothers, Kurt? You have a brother or a sister or anything like that? Yeah. Yes, I do. I thank you for asking. I have, I have a stepbrother and a stepsister and two, two biological sisters. Um, we all grew up together. So, so five kids, and my stepmom and my dad, my, my mother is, so we grew up in New England. My mother is actually was born and raised in Hollister, just up the road from Slow a little bit. Shout out to Hollister if there's anyone listening. If not, you should be. And Hollister for me was a place that I'd go in the summers to, uh, to hang out with my mom. So Northern Cal became my, my stomping grounds when I was young um, through middle school and high school. But for me, there was this pervading sense and maybe, you know, I've never really discussed this with my siblings. So I don't know if it was. That's what I was wondering is if they sensed that same, that same uh, environment, you know, atmosphere in your home. I think so because, you know, it's, you know what they say about assuming, but um, I would assume (laughs) Annie wants to tell us. (laughs) I would, I would, I I would risk assuming that they had similar experiences, like any dreams that I had. So when I was young, I wanted to be a comic artist, and I'm not talking comic book. I want to be clear, talking about like you know the Sunday morning strips, those kind of things. I I, I drew my own. I I loved drawing them. I I loved writing, um, and creating the characters and and creating these interactions. And my, you know, my dad loved to show those to people, but when it came to, that was a dream of mine. I, I, my dream was to be an artist, to, to make a living at this. And, and maybe other people have had similar experiences where my dad would say things like, you know, like you're never like, it's, it's one in a million to make it in that career. You're not going to ever make money at that. You should find something else that's similar and that you should do that you 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 should do something else like for me he was pressing me going to a vocational school to for architecture and drafting you know that kind of thing so is there was this kind there was this culture of of dreams like being unattainable like no one there the message that was sent was no one in our family is going to achieve their dreams no one in our family is going to ever accomplish the things that they want and they desire to pursue. So don't even try. There was this underlying message of failure. Like we're, yeah. we're not those people. And yeah. that really sunk deep into me more than I realized. And so you and I come from very different places on the journey 
And so I want to talk a little bit about where we both have come to and how your your journey from being empowered and my journey of feeling powerless have come to a place where we're walking similar paths. So going if you don't mind and I know this is painful and you last week when we were on Fred's uh Fred Fred McMurray's show, he was interviewing us and he asked a little bit about this and you shared would you mind going back again and talking about where that sense of of empowerment that you had what it took kind of fell apart for you? Mm, yeah. Well, um, I uh, I certainly, as a pastor, had um, expectations and dreams. I didn't know if I was living up to other people's expectations. But I really felt a call on of God to reach people with the message of Jesus. And uh, while I was a music pastor and I was passionate about worship, I still am. Uh, there was there was this unexplored priority in my life that I wanted to be a part of. So I I found a a ministry where I could begin doing uh, outreach outreaches and things like that. And that was at a ministry in San Diego. And um, uh, so I was, you know, doing Bible studies and, you know, uh, planning outreaches uh, for the, for the church to talk to our neighbors um, about the Lord and, and so forth. And, uh, um, and then I found an opportunity. There was an opportunity about two years that opened itself up in Washington where I would be the senior pastor. So I, um, you know, we took our family and moved up there. And you know, there's a there's an there's an unspoken part of this, and I don't know if I will address it in this show, probably not, but in a future show, is uh, just the challenge this was for my for my kids and my wife and and so forth to be, you know, trekking around the globe with me on on these different ministry treks, but. Uh, uh, Finally, I ended up in Washington doing a, a senior ministry, and we did this huge, fantastic outreach where we were, uh, I think we reached about 2,000 people in our county through uh, an organization called Convoy of Hope. And uh, and it was just, uh, uh, we did something on the fairgrounds with about 40 other churches, and, and I was directing this this whole thing. We had 1,000 volunteers, and... and wow. um, it, it was just a tremendous, a tremendous uh, deal. You know, every every man, woman, and child walked away with a bag of groceries. Uh, they, we had, you know, uh, healthcare uh, doctors and nurses there, dental assistants. Uh, we had children's uh, programming going on. Uh, we had clothing. Every single person of the of the thousand guests walked away with a, a, a suit of clothes from shoes, shirt, pants, everything, a jacket. Um, just a tremendous outpouring. And that just was like, ah, oh, this, this, is, this is it. This, this was great. I want to do this every year. But then um, about a year later, I just began to see cracks in the ministry, uh, the things that uh, I was 
trying to create in terms of unity and community within our own church, uh, those things were starting to break apart. And, and I got really frustrated with that because in every ministry up to that point, I had seen uh, church communities uh, split and divide and, and uh, face tremendous difficulties of uh, sin and abuse and it, it was just sad, and I always had this dream of a beautiful community, and I could see the beautiful community falling apart again, and I I fell into this despair about things, and uh, I remember, and I think I shared this with you, I remember going on a walk and landing at a fence post, and I, I said, Lord, I, I don't know if I can do this any anymore. Uh, I really just need you, Lord. I just need you. I don't. I. I don't need to do this work anymore. Um, I. I just need to to follow you. I need you more than anything, and whatever it takes and whatever it costs, I'm willing to do. I'm willing to do to follow you. Well, the cracks continued in ministry, and the cracks continued in my family, and uh, we were struggling as a family, and my marriage was struggling, and. Uh, um, and then the economy hit really bad. Um, when was that? Around 2000 and blah, 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 uh, six, seven, something like that. And, uh, ended up losing a house to foreclosure, um, moving down to, uh, Southern California again for another church ministry. I think I was trying to run away. I don't, I don't know what I was doing. Um, but I, we ended up in a church that had even more problems than the previous church. But I had this confident idea that I could fix anything, you know, even even uh, even after the previous ministry. I, just, I thought, well, this is a new start, you know, and everything that I've learned and everything that I've trained for will help. But nothing helped. And uh, it was it was a very difficult ministry in my family and my uh, marriage continued to fall apart, uh, and uh, my kids were such troopers through it all. Um, I just know how much they love me, and uh, uh, for that, uh, my wife and I have been separated uh, for quite a long time, uh, but we love each other, and we're friends, and uh, that was the, the best thing for, for our kids at this point, and, and um, but I fell into... Uh, uh, a greater slump, <laughs> a depression. Really, I was depressed, and I had gone to some counseling, and and uh, I was diagnosed with PTSD. And uh, I said, no, 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 that's for military people. <laughs> that's, not, that's not me. You know, I have brothers in the military, but uh, I I couldn't get in the military because of some health issues. And and this uh, uh, guy said, no, 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 no. You are severely. Uh, You've got a severe case of this, and it's going to take some some time to get through it. And um, well, that wasn't the kind of news I was hoping for. But I can attest to the fact that after years of trying to deal with this, that yeah, I do have PTSD, and uh, and it is a real, real, real thing. In fact, all the confidence that I had grown up with in the previous 20 or 25 years gone. Now, when I was running into stress, when people were depending on me for leadership, I was having uh, anxiety attacks, um, uh, 
getting sick, developing fevers. Uh, it was just, it was out of control, you know. Um, so I, you know, I, le- I came from a place of great confidence to a place of great, great brokenness. And, uh, um, and after a few, or a few years of this brokenness, um, I got to a place where I was thinking of taking my life. And uh, I remember sitting in a seminary parking lot because uh, I was, you know, working on my master's degree, but I was using this seminary for their library. And I was planning my exit from this life. And uh, the only thing that got me out of that was a realization that I had a deadline for a term paper that night. And uh, I, I, better, I better at least knock out the term paper. And uh, finished the term paper, and a few days later, I was walking the streets. I did a lot of walking. I probably have logged uh, close to 2,000 miles in prayer walking, uh, most of it crying, most of it just brokenness. But I got to uh, a parking lot somewhere, and uh, I sat down and on this uh, cement curb, And uh, in that moment, I suddenly had this awareness that God was crying over me and crying with me. And in that crying, I realized that the truth that I had taught for many years about the Holy Spirit living within me and groaning with words too deep and expressing my heart to the Father in heaven, I suddenly realized, wow, the Father in heaven, I'm, I'm feeling his feelings, and he's feeling mine. And when I had that deep connection, and it was based not on feelings, but on the truth of what I had taught, everything just clicked at that point. And it was really another four or five years of, of re-examining my whole take on the Christian life and following Christ. And... Um, and that has landed me where I am today. I'm not at the top of the world. I feel like I'm, I, um, I am empty of most of the things that I thought were important. And, and yet I feel like I have the kingdom of heaven uh, filling my life every day. And I can't really explain it. I, I can explain how I got there. But I think we'll talk about those things over several shows but um, that was the turning point was uh, was a, a real life connection that God was real and connecting with me so well I want I definitely did I put you to sleep no no I'm here can you hear me can you hear Where's me Kurt? Uh, you can hear me <laughs> Andy can hear me can okay you... well, I don't know where Kurt is um <laughs> I I'm right here. I'm looking at you. Anna, are are you there? Can you hear me? We're all here. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Kurt is here. And all right. Here. Well, um, can you hear me, Chris? Kurt, why don't you take over and I'll put him in the side. Can you hear me, Annie? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I want to make sure you testing this thing out. In fact, do we do we have those commercials? No, but I do want to talk about our 
linked local network and everybody going on the linked local network, as well as going and watching our Pillars of Franchising on Thursday, as well as our Road to Recovery on Sundays. And we will be here every Tuesday at 7. So that's the fun part from us. But Kurt, why don't you take it over? I will do that. I'm okay with doing that. Every moment. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Can you, can hear, you me hear me? Yes. But yes. You... What happened? I don't know. So when did when did the story get lost? No, you did great. We heard you the whole time. Yeah, we heard <laughs> oh, you the well, whole good. time. We just did. Well, and, and I I heard me the whole time too. So that was good. <laughs> That's amazing how that works. <laughs> so do you okay. need to say that commercial again? Did I interrupt that commercial? No. That was okay. perfect timing. Beauty. I, Chris, so I, I want to make sure people know at this point if they want to jump in and share some of their stories of That'd be great. feeling powerless or having it growing up with a sense of power, that you, they can jump into that. I'm, I'm, I would love to hear that. And I, I want to go back to your story. I know that you said for just a minute and then and then we'll talk about mine in this case or somebody else that comes in I want I know you said Chris that it's it's hard to describe but when you talk about the that connection that you had in that moment would you would you try to uh, tell us like if you could put that but there was, it sounded like to me there was a sense of power there that you had not mm. experienced previously to that moment. And if oh, you could yeah. put, if you could describe the, that experience, what that sense of power felt like to mm. you, mm. that would be, I think, very helpful for me and other people who are listening. Well, I never would have viewed it as power. Um, I don't even know that I felt strength. I just, I felt that God, see, I knew in my mind that God was with me. I knew the truths of the scripture and I believed them. But I think I, I didn't translate that to my heart. Um, because I was not experiencing what I thought was what should be a strength through all the through all this wilderness I was going through. Uh, but okay. when I made that, okay, go ahead. What? No, go ahead. Finish that last part. So I was just going to say. So when I made that connection, or God made the connection with me. It was like a veil was pulled away, and I could see God. Now, not visually, visibly, but the idea is, is somehow God made his presence known to me that was more than just a rationale or a knowledge. And it's not like I needed that for the next 24 hours or the next seven weeks. I didn't need that. I just needed to know that one moment that God was with me, Emmanuel. And that's the great truth of scripture. Now, to gain strength from that, I think 
over over many years, I began to garner uh, a different kind of strength because it had nothing to do with willpower. Uh, it had nothing to do with determination. Those were my old ways. That, that was my old way to do ministry. This was something about being passive so that God could be active. And, um, and when I allowed God to be active, um, direction started to come. I started to get different visions about where my life was positioned with God. I'll give you one illustration that really helped me. And honestly, I can't remember if it came before or after. I, see, I really believe it came after this connection. And, and very shortly after, I had a, uh, I have quite an imagination like, like you do, Kurt. And, um, but these, these illustrations helped me. And then I realized, oh, Jesus was uh, almost everything he taught was an illustration or a picture or a story. And so I wasn't afraid to go there. And, and I had this illustration of me being in a boat. And my boat was floating on an ocean of my own tears. I mean, that's, that's how much I had cried over the previous three or four years. And, and it just felt like an ocean, and I was bobbing up and down. And uh, I had gotten so worn out that I didn't even want to paddle anymore. You know, I didn't even want to bust out the oars or anything. And um, I, I pulled down the mast, and I just wanted to, to float around. But after this, after this connection, it was as if God was saying, now I want you to put up your mast, and I, I am going to blow the, to the direction that I want you to go. So I, I, the only thing I did was just put up this mast in my life. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't, I didn't determine to go anywhere except to just cope with the pain each day. But it was interesting because... Every day I would I would wake up a little bit better and I would look over the side of my boat and actually see that I'm moving somewhere and mm. I wasn't paddling I it was God was blowing this gentle breeze and I realized that not only was this his wind but this was his boat and I was just in his boat and eventually I, I called back to this illustration about a year later when I landed. Uh, uh, I felt like I landed on an island somewhere, and I thought, "Well, this is God's land," hmm. and uh, it just it felt like solid ground. And it wasn't because my life was changing in the sense of, "Oh, I've got this new job or this new opportunity or I found a new song that." inspired me it was none of that okay um there was just this sense that uh god loves me and he's got me and i'm just going to wait until he takes me where he wants me to be and so that i guess if you if we call that strength it's a very passive strength hmm. it's not it's not something that i'm producing it's something that god is producing in me so hmm. And that is the important difference, right? And by the way, I like your, your boat analogy. It gives new meaning to the words, this blows. <laughs> Makes it good. 
But what, yes. what was in, in that in that moment, like when you felt you sensed God was crying with you, Chris, and in that in that boat analogy, when God in your imagination brought that to you and he was directing things, he was leading you to where you want. Can you just in a few words, can you give like an emo, what was your emotional response? Like, what were you feeling? In those moments, rest. Interesting that you said that. Now, yeah. here's 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 what I'm going to say. You said that that wasn't strength, or did or was it? It was a different kind of strength. A passive strength, a, on, a passive at least on strength. my part. Yes, yeah. and there's that point. But I want to get to the. I really want to emphasize this idea of rest because there's power. That's power to be restful yeah. and relaxed. Look. And any sport you play, anything you play, this is I, – I, I love this analogy for myself is, – is the fact that if, you t- if you're tense, you tighten up, uh, say on a bat, and you go to swing that bat when the pitcher's throwing the ball to you, 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 lose, you lose power and you lose control over where that ball is going. The more relaxed you are, the more at rest, the more loose you are, the more you have the power, the full range of motion and control to hit that ball and direct it where you want it to go. Right. And here, here's what I'll say. In life, what are – like if we were going to describe death, the idea of death, wouldn't words like anxiety, discouragement mm-hmm. – Shame, fear, worry, wouldn't those be words that we would use to describe like unrest, death, like the the thing, the opposite of life? Yeah, it's like the living dead. You're walking dead. (laughs) Yeah, You're, you're, you're surviving. You're not thriving. You're not living. You're existing. And what you're describing is an incredible sense of rest that God was grieving with you, that God was there walking through you, empathizing. He was compassionate towards you Mm -hmm. in the midst of all of that. And it changed and it allowed you, even in the midst of the circumstances, in the midst of horrible circumstances where you were at the edge of taking your life because of the things you were experiencing were worse than death, Mm -hmm. right? And this, that was a moment that gave you strength other than the term paper. That's the first time I've ever heard anyone say school saved their life. And I, I just like, I'm in awe of that moment. Okay. But the idea, the idea here of that experience with God, Chris, brought you into a place of renewed living, the strength to keep going because you were at rest in your mind, your body, and your spirit in a new way. And it was not like instantaneous. It was a journey that you had to get through. You went through a grieving process. And in that grieving process, something I think happened to you is the same that happened with me. And my journey in a nutshell was, you know, when I've, I've had some a very like for me, very powerful experiences with God, visions, things that he I've seen and prayed as I've seen these visions, prayed through God, what does this mean? And uh, years ago, 
right when I first year into vocational ministry, I, I, this was not my plan. I want to make that clear. I, I, it was never my plan to go into vocational ministry. Uh, I was working in a casino in Vegas and I, and God called literally the phone rang and a guy offered me a job in a church community. I'm literally the, the phone rang. I got a call and over the years, it was difficult because of that culture of failure, that culture of powerlessness that I grew up in. It was mm-hmm. difficult for me to walk in that and believe that that I was this leader that God had called me to influence other people. It was There was insecurity and anxiety and worry underneath the surface for many years. And when And after my first year in ministry, he gave me a vision, woke me up in the middle of the night, no reason to be awake, ended up in my wife's office, and I'm praying. And he shows me this vision of me speaking to thousands of people, adults. At that point, I had served with kids, and I (laughs) love serving with kids. And I'm now speaking to adults. And let me tell you, in that vision, I was awesome. I just want to make that clear. I was incredible. (laughs) communicator and and this went on for two and a half hours and there was such a sense of power in that vision and my heart like lit up like like a like a bonfire really and and I couldn't shut this down until I went to sleep and 14 or 12 years later is when he moved me like I kept walking praying growing in my prayer life learning to put rhythms in place of daily prayer yeah and when and learning to listen, like to pray through things and ask him to give me signs to know what he was doing, and that led to uh, some incredible things going. And we'll talk on further shows about going to India, which led to me coming here to San Luis Obispo, and the, to start this church community. And that was the a real sign that that vision he gave me was was him. And you would think coming to slow. There, I said it. I knew I was going to say it. Yeah, Coming to San Luis Obispo, that there would be that I was like, yes, this is the beginning of the vision. I was confirming what God said, and I would walk in that. But I was afraid and insecure, like nobody's business. And starting a church community, all I can tell you is that mantle of leadership that God, I felt, was giving to me. You know, maybe every maybe people understand like you've start you've transitioned into a new role, a new level of responsibility, a new yeah. maybe even just having a kid and holding this thing in your hand, going, "Where's the instruction manual?" You know, like, "What do I do with this?" You know, you you have a new level of responsibility that feels uncomfortable. And the best way I can describe what I was feeling was that God had given me a new a new set of clothes that were awesome. The clothes were incredible, Mm. stylish. But you know, when new, when you get new clothes, they're very uncomfortable. They're stiff and it's hard to break them in. And that's what I would say about this season is like, I could not get used to the idea, even though all of these things happened, that God was, leading me. He was the one that gave all this to me and he would accomplish it. Uh, there was that restlessness, that anxiety, that sense of failure pervading. 
And it caused me here. This is, I think, the secret of things is we're getting to a point that I want to explain. Where's the secret of feeling that sense of power that you felt, right? And if right. everyone goes, oh, I've got to go through terrible things and lose my marriage, like that's the, the secret to gaining this the sense of rest in God and power. <laughs> wow, I like. No, you know, I don't please. think so. Right, so, right. For me. It was it was it was actually an upwards he was taking on this upward trajectory. Right. And yet there was still a lot of anxiety and fear in, in, in me and, and it got to a point where I was getting super insecure and what I found and maybe other people can understand this and relate is when somebody is insecure like I was we get defensive when somebody starts pointing out our flaws yes. and starts and, and they and like my wife, for instance, can, she would be very, uh, you know, like she's in this to, to see this thing grow. She's in this to see me succeed. And she would be pointing out flaws that things that need to get fixed, even in me to move us forward. Mm-hmm. But for me, in the place where I was, my insecurity and my sense of powerlessness, I defended against, I had excuses. I had, you know, I, it was her fault. I was, you know, I was laying blame at everyone else around me, uh, especially her. And we got to this point. And, and the, whenever I, whenever I see somebody getting defensive at this point, it really shows me the level of insecurity. There's something there. Mm. And there came a point where we got into a we hadn't had a blow blowout fight like this in years, and this was six months ago, to be honest with you, or so. And I literally left um, without really walking through that. I was so angry at her, and it was all her fault because, yeah, it was just her fault. And I went on a trip. And uh, ironically enough, it was a, a spiritual retreat. So I'm going on a spiritual retreat totally in a fight with my wife, totally mad at her, and I am shut down and angry. Are you talking Are you talking to me, Chris? Okay. Uh, totally angry about this. And on this retreat I go like I get there and I end up like getting there early and I'm like oh I have not gone and prayed today and I go for a walk and I'm just so spent from all of the you know the the anger it takes a toll and I end up going on a walk in, in the mountains where I was in Southern California and I fall asleep beside a stream and I wake up I wake up to um, the sound of the stream flowing right by me. It was so peaceful, so beautiful. And the, immediately the words of Psalm 23, if you, if, if you know that, are coming to mind. He, he makes me lie down be, beside uh, in green grass, in green pastures. He, he causes me, to, he leads me beside still waters. And those words were just flowing over me with such an incredible sense of God's love for me. And the, I'm, I'm in the midst 
of the biggest fight. I've just been a complete jerk to my wife. I've completely left her high and dry on a three-day, four-day trip. And here I am, and God is just pouring out his love all over me. And I, I didn't, it was not me positioning myself. I was just sleeping. He's just giving himself away. And the compassion, you know, you talk, Chris, about that moment where you felt God weeping over you and the compassion. This was my experience as well, but not because of, like, hurt that I had sustained, hurt that I had caused. And I felt in that moment so at peace and so at rest. I couldn't stop writing in my, all I had was my iPhone. And so I'm in notes. I'm writing all the things that like words are flowing into my mind. These sense of God's presence. He's just giving me thoughts about me and about how he feels. I'm just writing this stuff down and I'm like on cloud nine. I'm like, I can't stop this from happening. And it's incredible. And that led me to keep asking for more. And it opens me up to begin to ask God, what else do you want me to know? And what I realized was, as and God kept answering that question, is I asked an open-ended question. God, this was so incredible. I, it was just the sense for me, and this is what the pivotal moment was. If he had that kind of compassion, when I'm at my lowest moment and I'm darkest moment, if he has that kind of compassion with me then, then if I am seeking to walk in him, and even if I'm failing when I'm leading other people and taking the steps, how much more compassion will he have with me when I'm seeking to walk and failing? Right. And it gave me, and it, it gave me a sense of power. And so I began to ask, open myself up to ask, God, what else do you want me to know? I want to follow you. I want, I want more of this. What else do you want me to know? And what I discovered, what I realized was for many years I was praying, but I was the one doing all the talking. Shock, surprise. Anyone surprised here by that? <laughs> and in reality, there was a defensive mechanism in me that was, that was doing all the talking because I was afraid of what I was going to hear. There was still that sense of failure that I was going to hear from God. He was going to point out my faults. He was going to condemn me and judge me. And what I found was, as I asked him to reveal himself to me, as I asked, what else do you want me to know? What came out of that was he was showing me more of that compassion. He was showing me how much he was rejoicing over me. And he began to give me a picture that he was a different kind of father. And this was weeks. I kept doing this prayer and I kept listening and I made space to listen. And here's, here's what I'm, I want to, to end, like get to this point of saying what I've discovered in this, Chris, and even as I listen to your story is that the power that we're looking for is there for us when we, the real power is in our vulnerability to open up and share and really say, God, I am a mess and I don't know what I'm doing. 
and I need you to speak into these places. And we begin to open up these, these dark places in us that our sense of failure, our sense of insecurity, our inadequacy, and we begin to let God into those places just even a little bit and just ask him, speak, I need you to speak into these places. This is what happens. That, for you, it took a journey of to the point of almost taking your life before you were ready to receive from him what he had been giving to you all along. Yeah. Yes. And, That's right. And to beget that, to get to that place of vulnerability. But for me, it was this other place of compassion in my failures that he showed me that I am not a failure by meeting me in my failures and leading me forward. And there's been a growing sense of power and that I can, I can say to him what I can, you know, like even at service after service on, on Saturday night for our church service that I shared some things that, you know, I really feel like power is vulnerability and I am opening up and sharing things about my life with people. And afterward I had this immediate sense of rawness and vulnerability. Like I was in a, I was in a pretty fragile state right after I spoke Saturday. And what I said was, I just confessed that and said, God, I'm, I'm raw right now. I know it. And I need you to speak into that. And he did. And I have more of a sense of that peace. That's where power is that peace and that sense of rest. And the more that we open up and become vulnerable with God and let him in and just be honest, the more we become honest with other people. And what I find, and that is there's real power. When you get vulnerable with other people, they open up and start sharing with you. Maybe not at right away, and these, right. but in time, and these connections build. So, I would I I would say, for me, what I'm learning is the sense of God awareness comes with an awareness of where I am holding Him back, mm-hmm. and where I'm learning to open up when I sense that and listen that He shows Himself in greater ways to me, and it's. And so I think the biggest thing I can say in this night is to start that path. Maybe it's hard. It's hard. It's fearful to go what, you know, like we, we all have our insecurities, right? And if I open up and beginning letting God saying, God, I want to hear from you. I want you to speak into my fears. I want you to, I want to know, or just say the open ended thing. I want to, I just want you to tell me what you want me to know. Right. Right. It's risky. Well, uh, I think it's really cool that line that you said, it's not failure to admit failure. And and actually, I'm thinking from God's perspective or a father's perspective with his children, actually, when there is an admission that they that they can't do it by themselves and that they need help, that's the first step towards success <laughs> that perhaps the father has been waiting for. And, and yet if we were to, if he were to try to tell us that we might not respond 
until we get into the circumstance or a situation in which we are relying on our own strength and recognizing we can't do life on our own. And I just think it's so it's such a great dichotomy that in our weakness, he is strong, which, mm-hmm. of course, is what the scriptures teach. But and I've taught that for years, but to actually live it and experience it because uh, because my strength gave out, you know, or in your case, the the idea of of the admission of failure instead of defending it, because I really thought it was interesting. You said we protect our anxiety, but at the same time, those of us who have been, you know, born of in an environment of confidence and and training and those kinds of things, there is um, we protect that. Mm. We're protective of. Is I mean, it's it's interesting to me that the that the things that you saw as a weakness, which would be your your upbringing and the idea of failure and and um, and then on my side the things that make for pride and and independence and all of those things that we protect it and yet God is waiting for us to give it up to let go of it whether it's our anxiety or our pride on both sides of the aisle. Um, which which then creates this common connection point for all humanity, really. Mm-hmm. But but uh, there's this common connection point of when are you going to admit that you actually need me, hmm. that you really need me, not just in a in a praise and worship service, but at the bottom of your life, at the end, at, at what you perceive as the end is actually the beginning. You know, it's when Jesus says, unless a seed dies, it cannot come to life. And um, I, I think when we talk about what this, t- with this topic of experiencing God's power, experiencing true power, it really comes down to experiencing true weakness. Yeah. And vulnerability. And, in that and region. vulnerability, and, and you you have to get there, willingly get there, and not defensively get there. You know, it's it's one thing to be humble; it's another thing to be humiliated. But you know what? Either way, God is going to get us to that place because He's a He's a good Father. He's going to get us to that place where we say, "I need my daddy. <laughs> hmm. I need." I need him. I can't do this. And then God says, oh, I've been waiting for you to do that. Okay, let me, uh, let me fill you with my strength. And now let's watch and see what, what I can do through you rather than what you can do. Let me ask you this, Chris. I love that. Would you, where you are right now, would you, if you could go back and change what happened and the pain and the, the wounds you sustained, the pain you went through to get to this point, would you change it? That's always a tough question. You know what I would change? I would change 
not so much because I don't want the bad things to happen. Right. Nobody does. And they're they're bad. Right. Right. And they create pain for everybody else. I mean, there's collateral damage in our own pain and it affects everybody. And so it would have been far better for me to actually humble myself, which is another command of scripture. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. I think there is a capacity to humble ourselves if we're willing to if we're willing to do that. But at least from my angle, I was so and you know, I would have never said that I was filled with pride. I don't even think I could have recognized pride. Mm. I think I think God <laughs> I was so proud. I think that uh God was giving me lots of ways to to see it and I was still blind like a Pharisee blind you know Mm. Um, and but if I could change that I wish I could have perhaps connected with mentors or people in my life who were truly humble and actually could tell me because I respected them if they had the courage to, to tell me, uh, you know, you're full of, you're full of it. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, would um, you say though, but that didn't happen, right? It None didn't of that happen. happened. So I, would you, you know, say then that it's a kindness of God that what you went, you went, uh, God showed his kindness. Yeah. And what it you is. went through. It is. Cause I, I needed to be bent down. And um, and the interesting thing is that it's not just about me, because I don't know the journey of the people around me, what what journey necessarily that God has them on, whether it's my family or friends or people I ministered to and so forth, who also experienced pain because of my pain. But they're on their own unique journey as well. Um but it, I, I do view it as, I fundamentally, I do view this as a kindness because if nothing had changed, um, well, I don't know that, because I was asking God to take it all away. I mean, I, I was at that fence post saying whatever it takes and whatever it costs. That so I had already come, come I had already come to the place where I was broken. Hmm. And that was before most of the junk began, you know, hmm. at least from my perspective. So, But there was that place that you confessed that you wanted him more than anything else. Yeah. And, yeah. and so he, he took the things away. Dismantled made, everything. Yeah. yeah. And I, so, I don't like to blame him for the problems in my life. I think <laughs> what it is, is that he allows the enemy, uh, to come at me, you know, kind of like Job, you know, uh, yeah, I'll let you harm. I'll let you do all this to Job, but don't take his life. Yeah. You know, and in the end it was a a tender mercy. So. Well, I feel like we, I think we've gotten to a point unless we have some questions. Does anyone given us any questions 
Annie, do you have any thoughts on on um, that have been popping in your brain before we wrap Get this me thing up? out of here. And while you're thinking about it, I do want to give a shout out to Trisha Benevente, who is listening and said hi to me. And uh, good to hear my Bill and Ted's most excellent adventure voice. So I appreciate that. It's good to good to know that she's listening. And uh, I would love to hear uh, some of these people who are call, who are reaching out to come in and and ask us questions. But in the meantime. Uh, if we if we don't have any questions, I just want to let Annie give her thoughts if she has any, and I think we'll we'll probably wrap this up if that's good with both of you. That's me. I'm good with that. Well, I have been trying to keep up with all the technology, so only partly listening to you, <laughs> wonderful guys. But I do want to say that Jeremy Larson says that he's praising God for this fellowship tonight, and he thanks you both for being very vulnerable and sharing your testimonies and recovery stories. Glory mm. to God. Mm. All right. Awesome. Thank awesome. you, Jeremy. That's uh, that's a, a great encouragement to us. Well, I would say uh, we're going to be doing this every week, every Tuesday at 7, 7 p.m., Pacific time and uh, we would love for you to come back and I and be a part of this I and I Chris I haven't even talked to you about this but I have a sense that maybe not next time but in the next few weeks there's something in me that uh, that it wants to I feel like we're, we're going to be led to talk about different stages of life and what we can expect in in those life stages and uh and maybe for that one we might need some uh guests on the show and and so we we want that too it's not just going to be Chris and I every week we'll we'll have people come on and be guests and we have some people but if you're out there and you're listening and you you have some stories and you have some experience in this in the things we're talking about we, we'd love to talk to you about that or if you know somebody that you think would be a great guest, we would love to have him on the show. Yeah, and that would be great. Yes. All right, Kurt. Well, it's been fun for me, and uh, God bless our our listening audience. And look forward to next time. Sayonara from me. See ya. See ya. Bye. Mm-hmm.